So my name is Stephanie Craddock Sherwood, and I'm the Executive Director of Women Have Options here in Columbus. We are Ohio's abortion fund. We directly pay for folks' abortions and birth control so that they have access, because otherwise they wouldn't, right? Because it's expensive. It's not covered by insurance. Um, and uh, so I'm here with some amazing storytellers uh, to talk about their abortion stories. Um, and because uh, we need to talk about it. Um, if just a fraction of us uh, that have been affected by abortion begin to break the silence, we would like end the shame, right? Uh, and secrecy that surrounds abortion in this country. We would help women who have had abortions not feel so alone. We would help the public see abortion for as normal and necessary a part of our reproductive lives and health as it is. So it's not hard. Uh, I mean, everybody has opinions about abortion, right? Um, public debate and heated rhetoric have pushed us to think of abortion as a black and white political issue, one that divides us. That same rhetoric would have us believe that we know the type of people who have abortions, the type, um, uh, and what abortion experience is like. We imagine irresponsible young people or victims of sexual violence. Words that are commonly used to characterize the abortion experience are tragic, heartbreaking, or difficult. While these may be true of some abortions, they aren't representative of a normal abortion experience. These characterizations frame abortion and the people who have them as people unlike ourselves, and the experience as extraordinary or rare. The truth is that abortion is a common experience that women and trans folks of all walks of life undergo every single day for a wide variety of reasons. So, in general, the experience of abortions is vast, and we don't talk about that. There is so much shame and so much secrecy about ab abortions that we haven't heard. We haven't made it safe. We haven't made it so that people can talk about abortions in a way that they, that they can't, right? They can't talk to their families. The number of folks that I talk to who need funding for abortions who simply can't tell their parents or their mother why they need their help with childcare when they go out of state to get an abortion is just, it's, it's heartbreaking. That these folks can't be forthright with their families because of the shame and stigma that surrounds abortion. So we need to, as a community, come together to make spaces like this one to hear stories, to make sure that we create safe, safer spaces, uh, to share stories so that we can understand the breadth of the experience of abortion. Like, no two stories are alike. People can be very similar and still have vastly different stories and, and experiences. You know, we find it that like, you know, even somebody who's, you know, radically pro-choice and an activist for pro to be, who are, who's an activist for pro-choice causes, I know several people who can't come out with their stories. They can't say they've had abortions other than like kind of quietly saying, hey Stephanie, I had an abortion. And, you know, it's because we haven't created a space that is accepting of all experiences. We haven't created a space that is safe for them, where they can't, where they won't get fired from their jobs, 
where they won't get you know, ostracized by friends and family. We need to create those spaces because until we hear the stories of the folks directly from the folks who have abortions, we're not gonna move forward. We have to hear these stories. Otherwise, we're just gonna get like bits and pieces of it and we don't control the narrative in that way. People who've had abortion should control their own narrative. And that's why we're storytelling. Thank you. So the folks coming before you are sharing their very real and personal life experiences. Their life experiences are not up for debate. We are trying to tell people, we are not trying to tell people what to think. We are trying to encourage compassion, tolerance, and appreciation of the complex realities of our lives. We want audience to audiences to understand the diversity of perspectives and experiences that individuals can have when faced with abortion. We expect this audience to act with respect towards our storytellers and disruptions or harassments will not be tolerated. I will talk to you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Today, we will hear from Jordan, Melissa, Bobby, Michelle, and Samantha about experiences of abortion. So I'm gonna hand off my mic to Melissa. Hi, my name is Melissa and I had an abortion. The number of times that I've gotten to say that recently uh, has kind of increased, but I was lucky enough to find myself 19 and pregnant in a county that does not have an abortion clinic in it. It was 90 miles from the closest clinic, and I did not have a car. This was, this was before uh, Stephanie's organization was uh, active in Ohio, so there was also really not a lot of help for me um, in terms of a charitable organization that could help me access a clinic. I was, however, very fortunate to have some wonderful supportive friends and my family, actually, my parents. I uh, called my mother, and she was up in Cleveland, and she says, okay, you want me to come down and get you? No. All right, do you need money? Put it on our credit card. So I, I was fortunate enough that I did have a supportive family. I had a friend who lived in my dorm room, in my dorm um, hallway with me, who was devoutly Christian, very, very anti-abortion, who drove me up to Columbus because she cared about me and she respected my choice and she wanted to be there for her friend. And to this day, I still think that's just about the most Christian thing I've ever seen anyone do. Because she put aside her opinions and her beliefs to take care of someone that she cared about. And I really, I'm getting teary-eyed because still to this day, I really, really appreciate that she did that. I had wonderful friends here in town who let me stay with them, um, who took me to the clinic. I was fortunate enough to have no protesters at the clinic when I uh, walked in. Um, and when I walked out, and I still don't know quite how that happened because I also spent years as a clinic escort up in Cleveland and got screamed at a lot. So I really do recognize how lucky I was that I got to do that um, without people telling me that I was a horrible human being and that I was going to hell and all of the other things that I've heard them shout at people over the years. The thing that struck me most about my experience is <laughs> when I went into the clinic, there's a part point at which you have to go back by yourself and, and you can't have a, a person accompanying you anymore. And there was a young lady who was there, was about 16 years old, and her mom had brought her to the clinic. And as soon as she was separated from her mom, she burst into tears. And there were 
three other women, myself and two other women sitting back there with her, and all three of us just got up and went and sat next to her and hugged her. And I, there was this instant sense of community among the women who were there, that, uh, that they had this shared experience and we were going to take care of each other. And I remember sitting there and talking with them about why we were here and each of their experiences was very different. Um, one was about my age, but was terrified to tell her parents um, that she was there, and uh, her boyfriend's mother had brought her. Um, and she just kept saying she didn't know what she would do without her boyfriend's mother, because otherwise she wouldn't have been able to be there. Um, so, I think that, generally speaking, people should not be afraid to introduce themselves the way that I did. Um, I hear a lot of people say that they are not pro-abortion. Oh, no one's pro-abortion. I am pro-abortion. Yeah. Abortion is necessary. Abortion is health care. I have a friend whose life was literally saved because she was able to get an abortion. She would have bled out um, from an atopic pregnancy had she not been able to terminate it. And I just thank you for taking a few minutes to listen to me. Thank you so much, Teresa. Now we're going to hear from Jordan. Hi, my name is Jordan. Um, I also have an abortion. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, so when I was 18, I had been in a relationship for a little over two years, and we weren't using protection because when you're 18, you think you're invincible. And I found out I was pregnant around seven weeks, and I had no idea what to do, but I knew that choosing to end the pregnancy was 100% the right choice for me. Um, at the time, I was living in Logan County, Ohio, and I was just surrounded by messages telling me that abortion was wrong, and there was no compassion for any circumstance. Um, so with the help of Google, I found the nearest clinic, which uh, was in Columbus, its founders, and uh, <laughs> I scheduled my consultation and went in completely not expecting the amount of care and support that everyone showed. Uh, there was only one protester when I went, and my boyfriend at the time handled that well. <laughs> and, um, from the person at the front desk to the woman that drew my blood, like they were all so nice and supportive, um, and it just wasn't what I expected. And when I was waiting, all of the women that I made awkward small talk with <laughs> just made the experience so much better because I had no one to go back with me. And uh, I had never been around women sharing their stories openly. And that just made me feel more comfortable and it just confirmed that I was making the right choice. Um, I remember the procedure pretty well. I was talking to my doctor about my favorite restaurants the whole time. I was very medicated. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was over before I got to tell him about how amazing this diner at the fountain is. It's called Don's, you should all go. Um, but when it was over and I was in the observation room, there were snacks and juice and the <laughs> nurses were all checking on me and the other women and some of the other women were crying and some were just silent, but I had never felt so relieved. I didn't realize until that point that I was just in a state of like constant panic because I didn't know what I was gonna do. My family didn't know at that time. 
the only person that knew was my boyfriend and my best friend. Um, and I had always been hesitant to tell my story because to me it seemed to pale in comparison to all of the other women that had such emotional strife and that had such issues with access and their family not supporting them. And it wasn't until like that narrative was pushed onto me that I knew that my experience was important as well. Um, it was actually when the heartbeat bill was introduced in Ohio and I shared an article about it on Facebook. Uh, I'm very vocal on Facebook, you should all at me. <laughs> I, and that was the first time that I had ever publicly acknowledged that I had an abortion. And there were people attacking me naturally, it's Facebook. And there were also people in their way trying to um, defend me or support me by saying things like, it's not an easy decision for anyone. I'm sure she was distraught. I doubt she was happy with the decision, but that wasn't the case for me. Uh, I never wavered in my decision. I never questioned what I knew was right for me. Um, I almost felt guilty for not being ashamed or not being upset about it uh, because the aftermath of abortion was supposed to be this like deeply uh, sad, depressive state that I was supposed to be in, and that didn't happen to me. So after I got over that, I literally will tell anyone that will listen <laughs> how amazing my experience was at Founders. And the majority of the people that I've come into contact with have been so wonderful and so loving and uh, there were others that were less so. My kindergarten teacher, <laughs> my private Christian school, uh, voiced her opinion with the whole like wrath of God thing on Facebook. And but to those people, I would like to say, suck it. <laughs> I got an abortion, and I would do it again, and I'm not sorry about it. <laughs> Thank you, Thank you, Jordan. <laughs> Next we have Michelle. Okay, I have put a really bad, I'm really bad stage fright, so I'm going to be a robot and read my paper. Thank you. Okay. Um, I don't have a touching story. It's not very interesting, actually. You won't be moved when it's over. Nobody will be compelled to hug me. Fingers crossed. <laughs> And maybe I realize that's part of the reason that I didn't share my story until um, recently. Like Jordan, I think I used to feel bad for not feeling bad. When I was 19 or 20, when I became pregnant for the second time, I already had a child, a little girl who was just a couple of weeks old actually at my high school graduation, which she attended. I went to high school where girls didn't have babies. I'm not saying they didn't get pregnant. I'm saying they didn't have babies. Everybody graduated and everybody went to college and nobody had babies but me. Um, so when I was in school, they were even nice enough to set me up with a private tutor so that nobody had to look at me pregnant waddling around the school. Um, they didn't want me teen momming around the halls. Um, so then a couple years later, thanks to an otherwise uneventful New Year's Eve, I became pregnant again. Um, when I realized I was pregnant, there was no discussion. Uh, the, the donor and I didn't agonize over what we were going to do. I was going to have an abortion. 
Um, we were so young and poor already, adulting harder than like anyone else our age that we knew. Uh, we got an apartment my seventh or eighth month pregnant with my first child during my senior year in high school. And before that, I hadn't even been allowed to spend the night at my boyfriend's house, so even when I was pregnant. So obviously I was prepared to live independently and raise a child with my boyfriend. Um, I didn't even know how to do laundry. I didn't know how to turn on the washing machine. Um, one of my dad's favorite stories to tell is about the time I called him crying because I wanted to make dinner for my boyfriend when I was pregnant and I wanted to make spaghetti and I was reading the box and it said to bring the water to a boil and put the noodles in but I didn't tell you how to boil the water and I couldn't find it in a cookbook so I, I was crying and I, my dad had to hang up and call me back. <laughs> And it was 2000, so I couldn't just like Google it. Like, I legitimately was freaking out, not knowing how to boil water in my shitty first apartment. So we had a lot of on our on our plates, everything but spaghetti. Um, so we went from like, egocentric teenagers. You can tell I'm reading when I say stuff like that. Um, with little responsibility to adults who were working to support ourselves and going to school and raising a child and learning how to do everything while maintaining our relationship with each other. Were we ready for another child? No. So we went to Planned Parenthood again. They had been the place I went after getting a positive result from a home pregnancy test um, my senior year. And they walked me through the steps I needed as far as uh, getting insurance, telling my parents, prenatal vitamins, everything. They actually really empowered me uh, to take ownership of my reproductive health, which I am grateful for. I was in a free fall when I learned that I was pregnant at 17 years old until I went to Planned Parenthood. And I'm not even like, this isn't like like a Planned Parenthood PSA. It's, it's about abortion providers. Like they're effing amazing. Like they empowered me to take control of my life and my health. Um, I don't remember before that feeling like I could do anything. And they were the ones who made me feel like I was capable. So I'm grateful for that. Um, the only other doctor I could have gone to would have been my pediatrician, who I was actually still seeing after my daughter was born, and she was like, you have to find a new doctor. Like, I am seeing your child now. You need a grown-up doctor. So she eventually kicked me out to make me get my own doctor. Uh, anyway, so I had an abortion. It wasn't a big deal. I didn't listen to Ben Folds 5 or anything. Um, I wasn't in a place in my life where I could have had another child, and I didn't want one at that time. I just didn't want one, so it didn't scar me. It didn't ruin me. I don't think about it any more often than I think about when I got my wisdom teeth taken out, which I also don't remember that well. Um, my daughter's father and I, um, we did a good job. My daughter, uh, my oldest, she just graduated with a 4-3, and she's college-bound this fall. So I think that we made the right choice. So my second child was born uh, 40 weeks after, no after November 4th, 2008. <laughs> Thanks Obama, literally. <laughs> uh, one thing I noticed uh, quickly when I was outlining what I was gonna say is that um, it's the stories surrounding my abortion that are interesting, uh, not the actual yes. procedure yes. itself. Uh, like, the important thing isn't that you turned left. Uh, that's just a boring detail. I'd rather hear about, uh, like, where you went or what made you go there. Um, and my abortion uh, was just that, a minor event that didn't shape or define me in any way. But 
did allow what could have been um, a major detour, a complete destination change, just become a simple speed bump. Um, it's strange how few people knew that I had an abortion until fairly recently. My, my sister's in the audience. She found out when um, Columbus Underground wrote an article interviewing Clarissa and I, and we were talking about it on the phone. And I was like, oh, wait. I was like, did you know I had an abortion? She was like, no. I was like, yeah, I did. That was like two years ago. Um, until fairly recently. Uh, okay, sorry. Am I done? Am I good? Okay, I'll wrap it up. Sorry. Um, Okay. Um, I'm not ashamed and I don't feel guilty about it. I guess originally I did ish and that's how I kind of omitted it from my narrative. As a young mother, I already felt disconnected from other moms. Like I wasn't really one of them, which was partly self-imposed. And um, my abortion was somehow proof that I wasn't maternal enough. Um, Like I'd somehow lose my already questionable parenting cred if people knew about it. So I did what any sane person would do. I did a rewrite and I omitted it from the story of who I am, um, which is weird. My OBGYN doesn't even know that I've had an abortion. Um, And she delivered all of my children. She knows I chew sugar-free gum because it took her two appointments to convince me that um, there and copious amounts of paperwork that the minor amount of aspartame in sugar-free gum would not hurt my pregnancy. But she does not know that I had an abortion. I never checked that box on the patient sheet, not once. So my number of pregnancies and live births are the same in all my medical paperwork I've ever filled out, which is weird. Um, I just deleted it from my narrative. Um, It's, I don't know, yeah. So, hold on one second, sorry. I'm almost done. I I didn't even realize just how compartmentalized I'd become until one day when I was submitting um, a testimony for Planned Parenthood. Um, One of the times that we had to go to court, one of the million times um, at the state house. Um, And I was telling my story about how they helped me with my first pregnancy and like a little voice was like, you also had an abortion. And I was like, oh yeah. So I sent that testimony in and I decided um, to let it be part of my story. The Dead Sea Scrolls of my reproductive history have been unearthed and unearthed and added to the rest of my story. Uh, it felt good. I started to mention that I'd had an abortion when it came up in conversation amongst my choicey friends. Um, and now I'm telling you strangers about it. So I'm becoming whole and it feels good. I love abortion. I really do. I love that there's a procedure available that makes motherhood and parenthood a choice, not a consequence, that literally saves lives, that can prevent undue suffering that gives me and all other uterus owners the autonomy to be more than just a womb. And my abortion is no longer a deleted scene, fuck that. It is part of my story. It's part of so many of our stories. I had an abortion and I don't regret it. Thank you, Michelle. So abortion affects the folks who have it, but also affects the workers in it because of the stigma. And we have Bobby that is going to tell her story. I'm Bobby. Um, I work at one of the abortion clinics in Central Ohio. Um, I've been working there for a little under a year. Um, I don't have my own abortion story, but I was the abortion girl in in high school. So if you were pregnant and you didn't want to be, I was the person that you came to because I took you to all your appointments. Um, and our abortion clinic was right across the street from our high school, so. It was pretty, like, we did it during lunchtime. Um, and the guards would just, like, let us leave and then come back whenever we wanted. Um, so, uh, but I got involved in 
like abortion care because my mother told me about her own story um, having abortion before she had me. Um, she said that she had an abortion when she when she needed one, uh, and she had a daughter when she wanted one, and um, that was like a really empowering thing for me to hear when I was 13. Um, and and so I got sort of political, and then everyone started to come to me when they were pregnant and didn't want to be. Um, but uh, so working at an abortion clinic is like is it's hard, it's really fun, it's really interesting. Dr. Romanos is sitting over there and she taught me almost everything I know now about abortions. Um, and she'll be on the panel in a little bit. Um, people think that like the hardest part of like working in an abortion clinic is like the protesters outside. And honestly, I, I like just drive around the back and I never have to interact with them. Um, so they never really get to me. The, the part that is, is difficult is what is the ideas and the misconceptions and the perceptions that patients bring with them when they come into the clinic. And part of that is what they go through as they walk into the clinic, the, you know, the, the shaming that happens to them um, as they walk in. And, and part of it is just like what they see on the internet and what they have heard their, their family members talk about. Um, and a lot of my job is, is combating these ideas or helping people work through them or helping people feel less alone and less shameful about what, what it is that they're about to do or what it is they're considering or have done. Um, and so it's, it's, mostly, it's mostly the circumstances around the abortion that, like Michelle said, that make the abortion seem like a, a heavy, heavy thing. Um, I think that abortions are can be as you know as ordinary or as extraordinary as people want them to be, as the patient wants it to be, um, and 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 I didn't prepare anything because I'm re I'm really I overslept and I'm not really bad, um, so now I'm like fumbling for words, but I I, I just I just think that. Um, there's, there's the circumstances in people's like individual lives that, that make the abortion like seem like, a, like a, a big thing for them and that's valid and that's important. But there's also a lot that the state does that makes abortion seem really traumatizing and difficult and, and, and makes it feel like, you're, like murder. Um, and that has to do with the language that they use and this paperwork that they make patients sign and how they make patients come back like 24 hours after their consultation because they just won't let you have it the same day because they don't trust women to be able to make decisions uh, without thinking of it. For some reason, we really, really need to think about this. Um, uh, and it, it has to do with the, the requirements that they, they, you know, like like designating abortions into like an ambulatory surgical site where we have to have, be fully staffed with all this like extra machinery that we probably don't need because abortions can be done in a small office with one doctor often. They're quick and they're simple and they're safe. They're so safe. And they're, sometimes they can be painful, but there's people that can help you work through that pain. Like I'm in the OR with, with patients and I help them breathe through it. Um, but but they, they're like five minutes. Dr. Romanos is like really fast. She like, <laughs> she like, um, and so most of the work has to do with just <laughs> Most of the work has to do with uh, with just helping people through like the emotional and psychological 
turmoil that they're put through, not necessarily that they, they are putting themselves through, but just that like the, the Ohio government um, like wants them to go through and that the people outside want them to go through. And I, I find it really rewarding um, and, and difficult and that you should really like send food to your abortion providers because <laughs> we're always hungry. <laughs> Thank you so much, Polly. <laughs> oh. So next, um, I'm going to pass the mic to Samantha uh, to share with you an anonymous story. Because let's be honest, not everyone can share their story publicly. Folks who have an abortion face not only stigma, but domestic partner violence, job loss, the like being ostracized or disowned by your family or community, and much more. And we can't have a speak out and not recognize how hard it is to share your story publicly. So I'm going to pass the mic to Samantha. <laughs> I forgot we had two mics. Can you hear me through it? Oh. Hi, I'm Samantha. Um, I have never had an abortion, uh, so I don't have that personal. Is this close enough? Yes. Oh, now I can definitely go to Um Anyways, again, my name is Samantha. Um, I do not have a personal abortion story because I have not had one. Um, but I do have a lot of people close to me who have gone through the process. And there are a lot of people who are still afraid to come out with their story. So I think it's important to read these things and share these things, even if they're anonymous. I think that it reaches out to somebody. Um, somebody can relate here today, I'm sure. Um, and just quickly, the, the biggest thing for me is I am endlessly pro-choice and pro-abortion. Um, you don't even have to like abortion. Uh, you don't have to like the process, but you don't get to take away a woman's choice to have one. Um, yeah. So, uh, with that, I will go into a couple of short stories. story comes from a woman named Sarah. Uh, she says, I had just gotten out of a long-term relationship when I had sex with someone who I thought was a good guy. From all the stress of exams and my breakup, I hadn't realized I'd missed my period. It wasn't until I had an extremely vivid dream about being pregnant that I realized I'd missed my period. I woke up the next morning, went to the chemist, and got a pregnancy test. My heart dropped when I saw those two lines appear. I told the father, and he was so horrible, told me it wasn't his, uh, even though he was the only person I'd ever slept with, and he called me some very horrible names. A week went by, and I was confused as to what I was going to do. The father messaged me asking if I was going to have an abortion, and that I should, uh, or else. He threatened me, blackmailed me, he made the hardest time of my life almost unbearable. I went backwards and forwards for weeks on my decision, and it wasn't until my 21st birthday that I realized abortion was the best thing for me at this point in my life. I had abortion, I had my abortion a week after my 21st birthday. I was 10 weeks and six days pregnant and it was the hardest day of my life. I sat in the car outside the clinic waiting to go in and at that point I still wasn't even sure I was going to go through with it. It's been five months now since my abortion. Although I know that it was 100% the right choice for me at the time, it still makes me sad every now and then. It is definitely a decision I will have to live with for the rest of my life, but I wouldn't change it for anything. Uh, and then the next one that I'll read to you is a little bit shorter. Um, this comes from a woman named Elizabeth. It could have never, or I'm sorry, it could never happen to me. 
I am a planner, I am responsible, I always use protection. I waited until I was 27 to start having sex. I'm still 27. And now my abortion is part of my narrative. The weeks following my positive pregnancy test were the most difficult and trying of my life. My conservative childhood collided with my progressive adulthood and forced me to make a choice. And I chose to love myself and make the best decision for me. I am relieved. I am angry I can't share my narrative with some of, the, some of those closest to me for fear of making their worlds crash down around them. But I am empowered and I am thankful uh, to be connected with a third of the women in the United States and all women throughout history who have taken control of their own bodies. I support whatever decision women make for themselves. Whichever decision is made is the right one, and I made the right one for me. It has been an incredible opportunity for me to open up and accept love from my family and closest friends. I am lucky. I embrace my abortion and my life. Thank you again so much, Samantha. Sorry. Can we get another round of applause for the storytellers? The incredible vulnerability shown, the incredible bravery shown for everybody who shares their abortion story. And if you want to share your abortion story, either publicly or privately, there is a Ohio organization, a preterm, which is an abortion clinic up in Cleveland. Yeah, that uh, uh, they have an they have an amazing program called My Abortion, My Life. And you can share your abortion story there. And they have abortion speakouts regularly up in Cleveland. And we're going to try to bring some down to Columbus. So, uh, so one more round of applause for a wonderful one, you guys. <laughs> Thank you. These are like my favorite people, y'all. <laughs> so it is my great privilege uh, to introduce Liz Winstead uh, to the Comfest stage. Uh, Liz Winstead has built her amazingly hilarious career responding to the world, including as co-creator and head writer of, and you may have heard of it, The Daily Show. <laughs> uh, I don't think I've ever personally been so emotionally attached to a TV show like The Daily Show. Uh, seriously, though. Uh, it's gotten me through so much <laughs> emotionally. So, but she's now taken her brilliance one step further, combining it with her passion for reproductive justice to form her latest passion project, Lady Parts Justice League. Woo. It's a nonprofit organization made of comedians, writers, and techies, creating videos that use humor and outrage to expose and troll sexist, anti-choice, local, uh, local politicians, and all 50 state legislators, uh, legislatures, uh, while providing support to clinics all around the country, uh, working to remove stigma around abortion. Uh, and we get, we get to have her here, and her whole team, who are amazing. Uh, and tomorrow night at Ace of Cups, catch Lady Parts Justice on their Vagical Mystery Tour. The doors open at 6, and the show starts at 7, and honestly, we need to take time to laugh in times like these. We hope to see you soon and tomorrow. And now, Liz Winston. I'm not cool with being famous people. <laughs> Thank you. Oh my God. It's um, the stories were incredible. Thank you all for telling them. Um, when you tell your story, you forget how much you're empowering somebody else. And um, I got pregnant the first time I ever had sex at age 16, and I ended up at a fake crisis pregnancy center, um, scared, thinking that somebody was gonna help me. Literally a person who was not a doctor walked out to me wearing a lab coat, carrying a book of uh, bloody fetuses, telling me this is what I planned on doing, and told me my options were mommy or murder. 
Yeah. So, um, you know, it's the stories around, or my abortion story is boring. Trying to get one is the obstacles that we still face today, and the Supreme Court is about to hand down a ruling to see whether or not it's constitutionally okay. Um, I'm really excited to bring up two people who are working tirelessly in the state of Ohio to talk to you about what's at stake for Ohio, um, tell you a little bit about um, what it's like being a provider, what it's like being an activist, and help you get some tangible tangible information of how you can actually reach out and help. So without further ado, I'm going to stop blabbing. I'm going to bring up an incredible abortion provider in Ohio. Please welcome Dr. Catherine Romano. Stephanie Sherwood, come on up, staff, executive director of Women of Options, and last but not least, Hannah Servadio, who is the Northern Ohio organizer for NARAL Pro-Choice Ohio. All right, we have one mic, so we're going to pass it around. I like having, like, metal behind us. I feel like we're very punk rock. Um, so, statistics of Ohio, I told you the national statistic. Um, as of 2014, you can tell me this has changed. 93% um, of Ohio counties have no abortion provider, and 56% of Ohio women live in those counties. So half of the women and half of the people with uteruses in Ohio don't have access to abortion. So, I guess my first question is going to be a little bit of, of the history of where, how we got here a little bit. Um, for most of the country, a lot of these laws really came down the pike in around 2011 when anti-abortion extremists created a package of legislation that was curbing called trap laws, which are like incendiary laws that have nothing to do with care and have everything to do with closing clinics. Um, 27 states closed down clinics instantly when they dropped down this, um, this uh, set of sort of laws in state legislatures. Um, so what I, I guess I'm going to um, ask you, Stephanie, to talk a little bit about from that point to now, what are people trying to access abortion care facing relative to these laws and relative to what that means for keeping clinics open? Yeah. Thank you so much, Liz. So in general, uh, yeah, over half of our clinics have closed uh, since Kasich took office. That's pretty much what has happened in the state of Ohio. And uh, and. It's really difficult for folks, especially folks out of like kind of the three C's, to access abortion. We are actually, and and I and I say that we are actually fairly lucky that we have as many local uh, clinics as we have. The three C's have uh, have clinics, and then Dayton and Toledo have clinics. And yeah, Toledo has a clinic. Yeah, clinic stays open. Yes. <laughs> And it's a constant, constant battle for each and every single one of these clinics to stay open because of the barrage of trap laws, uh, the targeted restrictions against abortion providers that happen. Um, and it's all, in, it's all in the little bitty details too. Like every single one of these abortion providers have, uh, have combated so many different little bitty in the paperwork things that keep them constantly busy, constantly having to make upgrades that are completely medically unnecessary, um, spending money, adding staff, and adding staff certifications that aren't necessary, and it's all to specifically keep, like, try to make them close. Uh, one of the biggest issues is uh, um, the 
having to partner with a local hospital for, and I just went blank, the transfer agreements, thank you. Um, I knew that the, it would go away from my brain. Uh, but transfer agreements, and especially since transfer agreements can't happen with public hospitals, and many private hospitals don't want to because of the politicization of abortion, and then what's left? Religious hospitals, and you know the religious hospitals, many are owned by the Catholic Church, and they don't want to uh, work with or have a transfer agreement to with a local abortion provider. The transfer agreement means absolutely nothing. The transfer agreement is just like, hey, it, it, it makes it so that like, hey, if you have an emergency, we're gonna send you can send it to our hospital, but you want to send an emergency to the closest hospital. Hospitals have to have to accept the patients that are sent to them. It means absolutely nothing, these transfer agreements, and it's just the politics uh, of abortion, and specifically the anti-abortion extremists, trying to make it so abortion isn't accessible. And this very, very, came very close to, just a couple of months ago, to shutting down our clinic in Toledo, and where those folks will have to would have to leave the state to get abortion access. So, um, in general, People are having to, to go further, and they're also having to come into our state. Bless those folks that have to travel. We have, we have clinics saying that they have to, that people have, are coming all the way from Nashville to Cincinnati. And twice, because they have, uh, uh, because we have our 24-hour waiting period. So uh, people are coming from Kentucky, people are coming from West Virginia, like Kentucky only has one clinic. West Virginia only has one clinic. Indiana has such strict, expense, uh, strict uh, abortion laws that so many people come into Ohio. So, and we're still struggling to make sure our clinics are open. And I can continue talking. I'm trying not to talk all over. <laughs> and I think I think a very important thing to mention with the transfer agreements, we call them trap laws for a reason. And the biggest trap with the transfer agreements is this. In order to have a doctor have admitting privileges to a hospital, the doctor has to show a need to be able to, that a certain amount of patients he needs to have that. Abortion is so safe that the doctor cannot prove that there is a patient need to do that. Therefore, they deny something that is unnecessary and it puts the clinic at risk. It's insane. Um, I think I'm gonna go to you, Doc. Um, having said all of, all of the ways that the laws on other states affect capacity for you. The laws of Ohio affect capacity for you. I'd love for you to talk about um, what that means when you're, you have a small dedicated staff, they work round the clock. Um, abortion care is, it, you give everything. You are emotionally available all the time. You are present for the procedure and there is no time for rest, a lot of times. Um, part of the reason we formed this organization literally is because I traveled and visited 130 clinics and every single one of them said to me, we don't have time to plan a break. And I was like, what if I had an organization that planned a break for you? And they were like, that seems good. So we travel around the country planning breaks for providers. So I would just like to talk, and, and we can't just travel around the country and do that. That's up to you to take the help when we do it. So. Will you talk a little bit about the love of your work, but also how this community could help you guys rejuvenate? Um, I think this community is doing that work already in a lot of ways. It is 
hard to work in clinics every day, as Bobby said. Um, every story is different, as you heard today from some of the stories here. And so, um, kind of guiding people through their decisions and through the process can be exhausting. But the biggest barrier that people face is shame, right? And they get shame from TV, from music, from politicians, from state government, from federal government. But they also feel shame in silence. And even though most people who come to have an abortion know someone who's had an abortion, they feel alone because people are silent about it and their shame is so thick that they can't share those stories. So this happening here today, people sharing their stories helps to lift that shame off of the women who come for treatment. And so I think this community is already doing a lot of that work and I really appreciate that. I'm gonna ask you one follow-up and then I'm gonna turn it over to Nayral so we can actually talk about tangible ways that we can help in the community. But I think it's important, we hear so many people defining what abortion is and we never get to hear from physicians that provide abortion. Like when people talk about, even, even the fact that we say surgical procedure, there is no surgery in abortion. There is not a knife, there is not a cut, there is not a nothing. So if you could just maybe describe um, a little bit about what abortion is as opposed to what we've heard it is for folks who have never heard a story from a doctor, I think it would be really helpful. Like what a procedure looks just like? Just like how long it takes, what happens, okay. you know, like I feel like so I can do this um, kind of very quickly and easily because every day I see dozens of patients and the state of Ohio requires that I tell you the following things. Um, I have to talk about the nature and purpose of the procedure. And the nature is that this is a five-minute office-based procedure. The purpose is to end the pregnancy. Um, the procedure starts like a regular, Bobby's heard this spiel eight times. Uh, the procedure starts like a regular pap smear pelvic exam. The doctor will look at your cervix, stretch it open a little bit, and then use a tiny tube and gentle suction to remove the pregnancy from the uterus. It's crampy, but as soon as the procedure's over, the cramps get better really quickly. And there are risks, but compared to pregnancy, this is 28 times safer, right? This is a very safe procedure. I think half of the food being served at Compest is worse for you. Yeah. Honestly, I think your heart's going to stop if you have fried food. Also, you could have had four abortion procedures in the time this talk back has been happening. So it's kind of, just to give you a gauge of what's happening in our world, I think it's... You can do five. Yeah. Because you're the Florence Joyner Koshy of abortion, apparently. You go, but no nails. Thanks. Um, that was an old-ass reference. Okay, five minutes. Great. So I think that uh, we have five minutes left, and so I think that it's just important for me to basically turn it over to Nayral to talk about um, what tangible things that you can do to help the clinics in Ohio. Awesome. Hi, everyone. Um, so I'm actually a guest in Columbus. I am the Northern Ohio organizer for NARAL, which means I'm based out of Cleveland. Um, I work from Toledo to Youngstown and everything in the northern part of the state. Um, I've only been on the NARAL team for a couple of months, but we've been doing a lot of work out there. Uh, Kelly Freeman is who a lot of you actually know, is the organizer for Columbus area and um, 
Dayton and Cincinnati and other uh, areas below. So our jobs basically, uh, we do a lot of different, I want to close it, we do a lot of different things, but it mostly surrounds the mobilization and the education and the recruitment of community members, supporters, volunteers, interns uh, throughout our areas. So we put on a lot of things, we put on home things, we do canvassing, uh, we go out and we talk to the community, but we also want to do what you want. So if you want a training, if you want to sit down and do an important storytelling conversation, we are so open, like call us, say you want to do this thing and we'll come out and we'll help provide the man, the woman power. Yeah. Um, one thing I would say is super, super important that if you're not registered to vote, please register to vote. Um, Ohio has a huge, huge election coming up in Ohio. Uh, in November. Ohio has a huge election coming up in November, especially as it comes to reproductive rights. If we do not switch seats, if we do not switch the governor's house, we are going to have huge issues. So showing up, going out and talking to people, a lot of this has to do with, you know, um, I want to speak to what some of the abortion storytellers were saying earlier is that, com that camaraderie, that you know, feeling that you are talking to somebody who understands kind of what you're feeling and, and why this is such important work. I have a bumper sticker on the back of my car. It's an AROL bumper sticker. I'm sure Kelly can get you one. It says, pro-choice, follow me to the polls. And I have people that stop me in the car. They roll down your window, roll down your window. Hell yeah! Like just yelling at me on the street. And it's fantastic. But not everybody feels that way because not everybody understands. So having those conversations with people, telling them what's at stake in November. Um, if you go onto our website, I'll plug our website, www.prochoiceohio.org. You can sign up to be a volunteer with NARAL. Um, the really cool thing about social justice work is that you don't need to be somebody that is that has to knock on doors and talk to people. If data entry is your thing, we need data entry. You know what I mean? If we need, if you phone phone banking is your thing, we need phone bankers. If you want to organize our shelves in our office so that we know how much swag we have and how much we need to offer, come sit and do that with us. We have a space for you. So please uh, sign up to volunteer, and I'm really excited to have you guys get involved. And I just want to wrap it up by saying. Well, the there's an in tandem thing you need to be doing because the elections are all that matters, but every single day, abortion providers go to work and they need the support of the community. They need your face to say, I love you, I'm glad that you're here. I'm gonna plug our website, it's Lady Parts Justice League. We have a whole bunch of suggestions of how you can be helpful in your community, how you can do outreach to the clinic and literally be the moral support and the emotional backbone and the front face of providers. Remember this, it's too often providers are providing the care, correcting the facts on the science, and then having to lobby and do things themselves. We can take some of that off their plates. And it's up to us to do that, right? Because remember, there are no good abortions, there are no bad abortions, there's just the abortion that you need. So let's just yes. live that life. Um, we have flyers, our comedy show, I was not that funny, but our comedy show's fucking hilarious <laughs> tomorrow night at Ace of Cups. It's cheap, cheap, cheap. It's like 15 bucks. Come down. We have a riot. We have such great comics. Best selling. Joyelle Johnson. Dina Nina Martinez, who is here. Um, and we'll be there. So thank you so much for staying and listening and actually caring. There's so much to care about. The fact that you're here means everything. Thank you.